The season of Lent invites us to repent of our sin and embrace God's grace and forgiveness. And to do this, we need to take a deep look at our own lives and name our sins. For the next six weeks, as you uh, get the impression from the video we just viewed, we will tackle the subject of, a, of sin in a series called Seven Deadly Sins, Seven Life-Giving Virtues. And as this title suggests, we will examine each week one of the seven deadly sins and a corresponding virtue. And I'm taking this approach because I don't want us to dwell on our sinfulness. I think we all know we fall short of what God calls us to be. What I think we need help with is learning how we might resist sin so that we might live a more virtuous life. Now, over the years, Christians have been good at keeping lists of big sins that we ought to avoid. And creating these kinds of lists was a common practice in the ancient church, especially among the earliest Christians. And by the 6th century, the church had settled on a list that included pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. These became known as the seven deadly sins. I talked about lust and holiness this past Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service. Today we will focus on the sin of sloth and the virtue of caring. I think most of us often equate sloth with laziness. We even think of that big furry creature in the Amazon that lays around on tree branch branches and who doesn't really seem to do much at all. When we think of sloth, we probably think about a couch potato or a slacker. Now picture in your mind someone who lacks initiative, someone who leaves work for others to do. This is the kind of person that the book of Proverbs calls a sluggard or lazy bones. Now the two scripture passages that I read earlier highlight several characteristics that stand out among those who are slothful, and one of which is the avoidance of work. Proverbs chapter 6 points out that unlike ants who are diligent in their labors, a lazy person could care less about gathering up food and, and preparing for the future. The lazy person would rather lie in bed than, and pass his time by sleeping. Chapter 26 adds to this description by saying that a lazy person will come up with one excuse after another to avoid work. We see an example of this in verse 13 where it says, the lazy person says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Now this is a ridiculous excuse. And that's exactly the point. Because it illustrates how far a lazy person will go in coming up with reasons not to work. A second characteristic of a slothful person, as it's described in verses 14 and 15, is a life of inactivity. A lazy person doesn't want to exert the energy needed to get out of bed. The scripture says he's anchored to his bed like a door is anchored to its frame. A door goes nowhere, and neither does a person who's consumed with sloth. Proverbs even says this kind of person is too lazy to feed himself. Apparently, picking up a fork and moving it towards your mouth is 
too hard. It requires too much energy. The sin of sloth also tricks a person into being conceited. Proverbs says that the lazy person is wiser in self-esteem than seven who can answer discreetly. In other words, the lazy person thinks his ways are superior, that he's wiser than others. He fancies himself smarter. And people like this have an elevated view of themselves. They're conceited. And I think they're blind and deaf to real wisdom. I think the sin of sloth is an interesting one for us to discuss, given our history with the Protestant work ethic. We value hard work. We know that laziness won't get us anywhere in life. Plus, we live in a culture that's really good at motivating us to work hard. But as a result of this, we tend to think of sloth simply as physical laziness, like what Proverbs describes. We think of the slothful person as someone who avoids work, lives an inactive life, and perhaps has a conceited view of himself or herself. We may even joke about slothfulness uh, in our own lives, like when we want to sleep in or when we haven't cleaned up the house in several weeks. But for me, that just suggests we're not taking the sin of sloth very seriously. I really think it's helpful for us to define sloth not so much in terms of physical laziness, but rather in terms of an apathy towards spiritual matters. Frederick Buechner put it this way. He says, Slothful people go through the motions. They know something is wrong with them, but not wrong enough to do anything about it. They're just letting things run their course. In other words, the sin of sloth is about not caring. It's a spiritual indifference to God. And recognizing that reality led the great theologian Thomas Aquinas to define sloth as sadness in the face of spiritual good. Now given the way that Aquinas defines sloth as sadness, I I want to pause here and say a word about what it is not. The sin of sloth is different from depression. Now, a number of people suffer from mental illness or clinical depression or have a family member who does. Sloth as a sin is different from mental illness, and I don't want us to confuse the two. They're different from each other. They're not the same. The kind of sadness that sloth causes is a spiritual sadness that will kill our faith and rob us of joy. Monks in the early church were the first people to describe sloth in this way. They had headed out to the desert where they thought they could get away from the things that kept them from focusing on God. See, they wanted to spend their time in prayer and meditation. And yet, despite their best efforts, they reported being visited by what they called the noonday devil, which distracted them from God. This devil distracted them from what was most important, and that brought them great discouragement. 
Gregory the Great also realized that sloth is quite skilled at distracting us from the Lord. Now he said that sloth can take a number of different forms, including malice, spite, faint-heartedness, despair, sluggishness in regards to the commandments, and a wandering of the mind after unlawful things. And all of these turn our focus away from God. Now, church leaders who came after Gregory have described sloth as a loss of interest in worship, prayer, and acts of service. This lack of interest indicates an apathy for God, and it will eat away at our joy of being in a relationship with God and knowing that we are loved by the Lord. This is what sloth does. It blinds us from seeing that God is good and that God seeks good things for us. Sloth is dangerous because it's so subtle that we might not pay attention to it. We might just think our apathy is just a normal part of life. John Chrysostom, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople and one of the leaders in the ancient church, warned that if sloth goes unchecked, it will lead us down the path of hopelessness. And he said that hopelessness will cast us into hell. Now, those are pretty stark words. But as I look around our world today, I do see hopelessness in a variety of places. But one of the places that I see hopelessness standing out the most is in uh, cynicism. People can be cynical about almost everything. People assume the worst. And I think one of the problems with cynicism is that it tricks us into believing that the world is rotten and that there's no point in making an investment in it. It leads us to believe that there is no hope for this world. And if that's what we believe, then the next step is that there's no point in us living out the gospel. So as you can see, the real danger of sloth is that it slowly erodes our faith when it goes unchecked. It eats away at our souls. It snuffs out our passion for God. It wears us down little by little, sometimes without us ever noticing. But one of the ways we can counter sloth is by living with care. When we offer care to other people, we're showing them that we do have hope and that we want to to share the new life that we have found in Jesus Christ. And when we offer care, we're doing what Jesus did. This is how he lived his life. Now, in all four Gospels, we find numerous examples of Jesus caring for other people. Now, he listened to people, and he paid attention to their needs. And then he usually responded in some fantastic way. It led him to heal the sick. It led him to feed the hungry. It led him to restore the sight to the blind. But most of all, Jesus used these opportunities to shower love on people. He showered love on lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes. This is how Jesus lived his life. He found ways every day 
to offer care to people in need. Now, a slothful life is opposite of this. It's opposite to Jesus' life. A slothful life is indifferent to the needs of other people. Had Jesus been indifferent to others, he would have found a way to not get killed. But he cared too much about everyone, including the thief who was crucified right next to him. He could have showed him apathy, but he didn't. He saw that thief as someone who mattered. And he showed him empathy. Jesus never turned his back on anyone. And neither will we if we live out the virtue of caring. If we let that replace the indifference that we find in sloth. But this isn't something we can do on our own. We need God's help. And this begins with prayer. But it also requires our action. So if we're serious about moving from sloth toward a more caring life, then I would suggest several practical steps that we all can take that will help us move in that direction. One important step is for us to see the image of God in others. So take the time to look into the faces of others. See them for who they are, that they're a child of God. And when we see the other person as a child of God, then we're much more likely to be motivated to to help them and to serve them. I've heard lots of stories of people who've had their lives transformed by leaving the comforts of home to work or serve in a place of great need. Oftentimes, these places are, are places where people are forgotten or ignored. But when we go to places like this, like when we go on mission trips... We tend to be more intentional in looking for God and we're moved by what we experience. We become more empathetic. Now serving other people has a way of rousing us from apathy and indifference and it helps us resist the sin of sloth. Another way that we can move from sloth toward a more caring life includes developing friendships with people who are different from us, people with a a variety of personalities and interests and outlooks on life. These are people who might challenge us. They might help us think in different ways. And they can help us see things that we may not have noticed before. And then a third way that, that we can nurture a more caring life involves what I call art therapy. Now, the arts have a way of tapping into our souls in a, in a way much different from words and conversations. An example of this is, is David. David uh, experienced this in his own relationship with King Saul. In 1 Samuel 16, and this is a really great story, but in the story it says, And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, And Saul would be relieved and feel better. And the evil spirit would depart from him. Now music is a powerful force that can inspire us to be more caring people. And it can make a big difference in other people's lives. 
But other art forms like painting and poetry can also inspire us to be more caring people. Now, you might prefer, prefer one of these over another, and that's, that's fine. What matters here is tapping into things that will help you become a more caring person. But I think it's imperative that we do everything we can to resist sloth because its real danger lies in the fact that it turns us away from God. It fills us with apathy. And we can't afford to live with this kind of indifference because it will kill our souls. So let's not be slothful in our journey of faith. Let's take steps during this season of Lent to repent of our sin and strive to live a more virtuous and more caring life. Amen. In just a few moments, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. But as we prepare to celebrate this, let's take a moment to confess our sins. Would you join me in reading responsively our prayer of confession as it's printed in the bulletin? Holy and merciful God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. We are often lazy when it comes to our relationship with you. It is easy to claim busyness or our inability to manage the time that you give us as an excuse for not drawing nearer to you. From our sloth and worldliness, deliver us and renew our desire to have a deeper relationship with you. From our lack of compassion, deliver us and grant us the ability to care for others. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ.